When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Robertson is best known as the family patriarch of the Robertson family from the hit reality TV show, Duck Dynasty. The show featured the lives of the family and their interaction through the company that Phil founded in the early 70s called Duck Commander. Phil's also joined by his son, Al, and Al Robertson served as a pastor for over 22 years in their town of West Monroe, Louisiana, prior to returning to the family business in 2012 and appearing on Duck Dynasty. Both Phil and Al are authors, speakers, and featured on the podcast Unashamed, where they're also joined by Jace Robertson. Gentlemen, welcome to Takeaways. Good to be here. Thank you, Kurt. Hey, you know, I just, I just love what I'm looking at right now because I know just where you are. Uh, you are in a warehouse and you're surrounded by duck calls and camouflage and all kinds of crazy things that I had never seen before I went to Louisiana. I remember my kids said, uh, as we were driving in our rental car on your property, Phil, we came through that gate and all of a sudden I'm looking at moss hanging from the trees. I'm seeing swamps. I'm envisioning getting eaten by alligators. I thought for sure I was gonna hear banjos soon. And I came up on your house with those dogs barking at me. And I said, guys, we need, to, we need to turn around and get out of here. And they said, no, this is it. This is the Duck Dynasty house. And we went inside and uh, boy, the rest is history. We've been friends ever since. That, that first line of defense, when the dogs bark, you can put, get your weapon in your hand. Don't move, just stand, just wait. <laughs> and you're waiting on the, what the dogs are barking at, what's going on out there. So they alert me in our neck of the woods to someone is in the yard. <laughs> That's right. What I had a chance to experience for the first time was uh, we went on a squirrel hunt with Uncle Cy. You and I went out on a, on a boat and we were bringing in those hoop nets with all of those fish. And uh, we even cooked up some squirrel and some catfish. And uh, I, I had a great time. I had never known this way of life before. Um, how would you describe life in Louisiana for those uh, who grow up in the city and have never been to the swamps before. To me, I'd just rather keep life simple. Fear God, love your neighbor, do what's right. Uh, you, life is what you make of it. So I told Miss Kay, I said, Miss Kay, find us a place down on the river. I said, I have an idea. And, and I said, now listen carefully. I said, my plan is this. If I teach school and the degree I have in education, Louisiana Tech, if I teach school, it'll top out at about 35, 40,000 a year. And I said, and that's it. I said, I'd rather go down there on the river. You find me a place on the river. And I said, I'll fish the river, sell the fish, we'll survive. I said, we can survive off 250, 300 a week by me selling fish. And I reached in my pocket and I said, you see this duck call? I said, I made that. I said, I'll get this duck call on the market. I said, and you'll have that long green in your pocket. And I said, everybody be happy. 
So she's looking at me. She said, let's do it. I said, find me the place. She found the place down on the river. And when we when we talking to the real estate lady, I said, let me ask you something. Because when I walked up there, I was looking at the water line, mm -hmm. the watermarks on those, those trees in my yard. So I told that woman, I said, let me ask you something. Does this flood in here? And she said, she stopped, you know, and she said, Mr. Robinson, I'm not going to lie to you. This floods a lot. I said, well, we don't want it unless it does flood. <laughs> we want the floods in the yard. Good for fish, good for ducks. She said, Mr. Robinson, you're going to love this place. <laughs> I've been here ever since, you know. My kids got rich and famous. They all started building bigger houses, but I still live in the same house I started in, enjoying the great outdoors, the love of God, following Jesus. It literally is a blast, in my opinion. Yeah. Not so much. I haven't been shopping in a decade. Just, just probably longer. <laughs> Maybe longer. Maybe longer. Well, you know, there's a lot of that that sounds appealing. And, and I love your story. I know you and Miss Kay met when you were 14 and 15 years old, and, and you're still together, yep. and, and you're so focused and centered around God and your family and your country. Uh, some people don't know that back in the 1970s, you were a college quarterback in Louisiana. You're in college. You have the demands of college football, and a son comes along, Al, who's sitting right next to you. How did you juggle all of that and cope with it? So I basically was a sinful young man, no doubt about it. We basically said, you know, we got this baby. Uh, you know, Miss Kay said, don't you think we ought to get married? I said, oh, the Almighty knows we're married. So, you know, we won't worry about that. <laughs> it ended up, we finally went off and I got a marriage license. That cost me, uh, cost Miss Kay. I didn't have any money, but she paid for it. $10 for the blood test and 15 bucks to the justice of the peace. But the wedding went like this. We walked in and he looked at me. He said, you want her? I said, yeah. He said, sign right here. Give me $15. So that my wedding that was, was short, short <laughs> to the point. And as you turned your, your life toward God and away from sin, what changes began to materialize in your life? All my old friends when they finally find, found out what happened to me, because when I came to Jesus, I literally, that's when I went down on the river, started fishing the river 24-7 in the outdoors. And so then I got the duck call on the market. But when I ran up on my ex, my buddies, they finally located where I was. And I told them, I said, I think y'all are looking for the wrong person. You're looking for the old Phil Robertson. I said, you know, he died. I was speaking of my baptism, and he was buried. This is the new one. I'm not going anywhere with y'all ever again. That's all over. Hit the road. So they all hung their head, got back in their rigs, and drove away. One of them, 12 years later, asked me to tell him the story on what changed my life so much. I told him the good news about Jesus. He became a son of God, and he died in about two months. Wow. That's how close he cut it. But he made it. Uh, Phil, you, you experienced another profound moment and relationship in your life when you discovered a few years ago 
um, that a woman named Phyllis who had come into your life actually turns out to be your very own daughter. Uh, what's, What's that story and how did that impact the rest of your family? One of them drunken nights, you know, that's how she was produced, some drunken night somewhere. I have no idea where. But uh, when we gave our DNA checks, you know, I said, they said, but Dad, Al checked it out. He said, I think she's for real. I said, tell her to come on down, fly her down here. So we, we provided the airplane ticket, flew her down, and my first meeting was she walked over to me and I looked in her eyes and I said, yep, I think you, you're the one. So after 45 years, she shows up out of my past and I gave her a house and she lives next door to us. And she's a good, godly woman. How did the rest of your family react to that? They reacted, I would say, Al, what do you think? Just... Tell her to come on down. There was no grudges about what in the world you're going to do now. So you 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 tell. Well, I was just going to say, you know, Kirk, once we went public with the story, one of the tabloids came out and had all this, you know how tabloids are. I'm sure they've never said anything bad about you, Kirk. But they had all this stuff about how jealous we were and blah, 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 blah. And it was all just so fake because we loved her even before we met her. And it was amazing. And so she has just fit right in with our family. She's changed dad. Dad was, you know, he, he was had boys, you know, and so he, he, he was different with us than yeah. he is with her. So it's, it's been a really cool thing to watch. Miss Case said, I thought it would be a boy, but it, it's a girl. She said, I knew someone was coming out of all them wild streaks you were in on. I said, hey, honey, I said, all we can do is love her. And here we go. Her, she's married to an artist. She's a nurse, so uh, but she said something told her as a child that you need to walk with Jesus in mind. Something told her that. Even as a young girl, she said, I had no idea that my real dad wouldn't show up until I was 40-something years old, but mm. that's the way it turned out. You know, Phil, one of the things that I just love about getting to know you and your whole family is, is even though uh, you might look a little scary on the outside with that beard and the, and the bandana around your head and, and you're out there with the shotguns and with all them ducks and alligators, you have such a tender heart for God and for your family. Uh, why have you decided to make family at the center of your life? It's because of my witnessing America's young people and America's family structure and see, and I'm looking at, to me is devastation beyond what I ever thought would happen. I never thought we would be this, uh, what's the word for it? This uh, so prone to to, uh, deny Jesus, the son of God and his love love for us. So I've been on both sides of this thing, Hmm. following Jesus. It's the the hardest thing that can happen to the human race, in my opinion, is to find peace of mind. And it's not going to be found on the current course that America's in unless there's a mass repentance. And pretty shortly, uh, you won't even recognize this constitutional republic we call America. So 
That's why I'm trying to get everyone to just at least stop and put their faith. What, what in the world is the downside for loving God and loving your neighbor? Al, uh, I want to know what was it like for you growing up as the firstborn son in the Robertson family, especially before your dad knew the Lord? Well, you know, it's it's funny when you were asking dad earlier about the college campus, I look back and realize that miracles still happen because I was raised on a college campus by two teenagers and a bunch of other people surrounding them who were teenagers. In fact, dad had some of his old football buddies down uh, a couple of years ago, and they were describing to me how they would go to the commissary, get extra milk because they were athletes and you know, they were football players. So I realized it really did take a village of people uh, to make sure that I got, you know, into those early years. Obviously, dad was, I think, I don't remember much, I was about the college years, but that period of time from when I was five to 10 was when dad was at his worst. Therefore, it was really tough to watch, you know, their marriage, mom and dad's marriage sort of melt yep. down. And me being the oldest, I had the most memories of that. But I'll tell you what else has done, though, Kirk, it's made me appreciate the new you know, Phil mm. and Kay, the new mom and dad. You really because saw the difference. You see the, yeah, you see the transition. You really know how powerful God's love is and forgiveness. And when you see life change at the level, I tell people all the time, my dad went from the biggest heathen in South Arkansas and North Louisiana to John the Baptist overnight. I mean, it just, <laughs> from my world, from a 10-year-old's perspective, that's what happened. Because all of a sudden, he went from people running from him to running to him. Because wow. he had something to, to take. And now he, he, he eats a steady diet of locusts and honey. And he looks just <laughs> like John the Baptist. <laughs> John the Baptist came here eating strange things, looking strange, and pointing to people to Jesus. If that's not Phil well, Robertson, that sounds like I don't Phil know Robertson. What, what <laughs> when I first saw him, I said, now that I like. I said, <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Jesus is going to save the world, and the one appointed, the point man, was a guy. That looked like you. Looked that's like right. Me. I'm like, well. Maybe I'm on the right track here. That's right. Coming in the spirit of Elijah. I, I, I love it. And that's you, that's you, Phil, for sure. Al, what was your reaction when your dad suddenly became a follower of Jesus? Were you happy? Were you amazed? Were you skeptical? You know, it was, it was amazing, Kirk, because we didn't, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know what your parents, you know, there's stuff going on you don't know about. And they shield you as much as they can. And so obviously mom and dad have been talking. But from our perspective, we just look up one day and dad drives up in the in the truck with the TV in the back, you know, and all the things that mm. we didn't have, you know, and he's he's like back in our lives. And so we were thrilled. And then we watched mama take us every night. It's our uh, our pastor came over and he would sit down with dad and they sat down three straight nights. And so mom didn't want us interrupting or, you know, messing this up. So she would take us and we'd go look at so we didn't have any money, but we'd look right at the store for a couple of hours. We'd come back. The third night we came back, there was a sign on the door of our little apartment, and it said, we're at the building. Come on down. And we all knew what that meant, that Dad was probably about to be baptized, and so he had finally accepted Christ. And so we went there, and we witnessed that that night. And I don't remember it specifically, but Mom said we were all in tears. She does say that Jay said, does this mean the devil's left our daddy? And she said, it does, but now he's probably still got some growing to do, so be ready. Yeah, But that was our reaction. And we knew that our lives were about to change, and they did in a big way. And it was about a year later before we moved down the river. And, and then you talk about how you had your own prodigal son season. 
what, what was it that you were running to or running from? You know, I don't know if maybe there was, looking back on it, not trying to psychoanalyze it, but I, I had been really a solid kid. Mom had depended on me a lot to take care of my brothers, you know, mm-hmm. when, when their lives were upside down. So I, I think I was good for a long time. And then finally, when our family kind of got on the right path, this happens a lot that I've seen in all my years of being a pastor. Sometimes Satan just kind of turns the turns the scope on someone else. And I was that person. I was I was open to that. I was a I was kind of a double secret agent because I was in church. I was singing the songs on the outside. I looked great. But on the inside, it was just getting darker. And so I was planning what I was going to be doing every weekend. And so mom and dad, who had only seen the good in me, you know, they, they just couldn't believe it that, you know, when I finally got to the worst possible place. And so dad sat me down. I was 17. I just graduated high school. He basically challenged me and said, if you're going to be here, you're going to be a part of this family. You're going to have to change the way you're living. Otherwise, you just need to get out there and make make your own way. Do your thing. And so you do your thing. And so I was, you know, prideful and arrogant at the time. And so I took off, you know, but I look back on that now. And that was love speech. I mean, he was giving me the challenge to do the right thing. But I just wasn't ready at that point. So I still had to get a little bit deeper. And just like that kid in Luke 15, I had to go some other place to figure out who God was. And then you somehow you realized that you were there in the pigsty and you you wanted to make a turnaround. What what was it? What was it that finally made the light bulb go off in your mind? It was a crowbar, Kurt, that uh, did it for me. <laughs> I was I was on the wrong end of it. Tell <laughs> and, me more. Uh, I realized I realized uh, I, w- I had been dating this girl and we were both telling lies. And so her husband shows up and uh, tries to separate my head from the rest of my body one day. And I, I realized in that moment, I-, I didn't, I obviously didn't die and wasn't hurt too bad. But I realized in that moment, police are there. I mean, it's like something off the TV. I was in New Orleans mm. and I looked at that moment and I said, you know what? If I stay here, I- I'm going to die. I'm going to be another statistic of New Orleans. And and then I thought, and if I die, what would happen to me? And I knew where I was, where my heart was, I was in, ba- I was in a bad way. Mm. And so I made a decision. Only, I was just like Paul on the road to Damascus, but I was on the road to New Orleans and, and both going to wrong places that I needed to go home. And so just like that kid did in Luke 15, I thought about home. I thought about mom and dad. I had my speech prepared about how I'd prove myself and all these things, just like that kid did. And when I got home, they just embraced me. They didn't even let me give my speech. Dad said, welcome home, Al. We got duck calls to build. So I said that night we we had the fattened catfish yeah. because a lost son had come home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, you, you've experienced some serious um, reconciliation and restoration in your life. I mean, with your dad, with your heavenly father, and then also you've talked openly about the restoration and reconciliation you've experienced with your wife. Um, you're married, you've got a great marriage and a marriage ministry, but it wasn't always that way. Can you talk a little bit about the rough road that you two walked down? Yeah, you know, I met Lisa when I was in that bad period of my teenage years. And so I was terrible to her. I broke her heart. When I, when I came to the Lord, I knew I wanted to be married. I knew I wanted to marry a woman that, that would really love me for me. And, and Lisa was it. The problem was she had had a lot of baggage in her past. She, she had been molested as a child. She'd had an abortion, you know, when we were apart. 
And so she had all this stuff that was there and never really got dealt with. So when I roll back into town and I'm a brand new Christian now and she see, and she's always been in love with me. So she just kind of comes into the family, but really never embraced Christ. But she, she, we were her salvation. I was her Lord. But the problem is with that, anytime you put anything above Christ, you're, it's not going to, it's not going to work out, uh-uh. not in the long term. And so it didn't for her and it didn't for us. So we're 15 years into our marriage and I find out she's been having an affair. She's working for our company. So now all of a sudden she's lost everything in a moment. I, I don't want her around me. The family doesn't want her around them. Our church, you know, there's a divide there because I'm working for the church at the time. So in that moment of just, I've lost everything. She finally out of desperation called out to God and she was laying in our backyard and she looked up and she said, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I need, I need you to rescue me. And he did uh-uh. He met her there in my backyard. And so after a few months of me observing and really every, most people around me, including my family were like, Oh, she's not going to change. You know, yeah. you've been hurt before, you know, they were trying to lift me up cause they were hurt. And so I, I felt sort of just alone in my decision uh-huh. But I knew I had the capacity to forgive her, and I did. And then we started building what we have now. And so 23 years later, I would tell you that I would go through everything again to get to the place where we are today, what we're able to do with other people. And you had seen the transformation that the, the power of God had, had made in your father's life. I mean, he went from this carousing, uh, drunk, uh, a guy who's in, in all the wrong places with all the wrong people, and then you see God turn him into a new creature in Christ. I, I, that must have given you the hope in your mind that God could also transform your broken wife. Was that part of what went into you being able to forgive her? I think no doubt about it. I mean, one is I saw my mom forgive my dad. And this is years before we ever knew there was a daughter one day we would meet. But I watched that. And then I watched my dad accept the forgiveness of God. And even though he had a hard time with it because he didn't trust himself, ultimately he trusted God. And I think, Kurt, that's really was the roadmap for me to trust Lisa again. Because, you know, when your wife betrays you at that level, you know, you, you think, how can I ever trust her again? And if it's just up to human beings, you wouldn't be able to. But when you trust the Almighty and the way he forgives us, you know there's a pathway to be able to forgive someone at that level. But I also knew if I didn't, if I didn't forgive in a way that I'm not going to bring this up every time we have an argument, it would never work. And so I asked the Almighty to give me the capacity to forgive as he forgives, where he says, I'll remember their sins no more. And to this day, I tell that vow to him and to my wife. Wow. I know that's difficult. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we look at divorce and, and forgiveness and remarriage and God's love for the, for the people of Israel and how he's constantly taken her back and she's unfaithful and all of that. And yet sometimes um, marriages fall apart and there is no forgiveness there and people split and they go different ways. And um, that, that's a very difficult thing. What, what would you say to a couple who's in that position right now? Someone's discovered that their spouse has been unfaithful to them. What advice would you give them? Well, I would definitely say don't, don't rush to end it. Wait and see what happens to them and to you and, and, and leave some room of capacity 
that that you make and work through this. You know, it's, it's interesting, Kirk. I don't know if I've ever told you this when you were down here, but when your movie came out about marriage all those years ago, it was something fire. You were a fireman in the movie. Yeah, whatever fire, that movie fireproof, was. waterproof, something like that. Yeah, fireproof. Yeah, yeah, fireproof. When that that was very close. That was much closer you know, in years to when Lisa and I went through all that. And I just remember we went and watched that movie. We both just wept while we watched it because it spoke so much to who we were as a couple to just try to get through the fire. You know, the idea was, yeah. can, can you just walk through it and can God help? You? And so that's what I would tell couples is that, look, obviously the Bible says that marital unfaithfulness sometimes will divide a couple and people will divorce. You just don't have the capacity. God understands that, you know, as much as he doesn't want that for us, that he understands that. But it doesn't mean you have to. You can work through anything. Mm. And and we know this is true because of look at what God does for us. I mean, we're called the, the bride of Christ. And so he put his relationship with the church in the same capacity as a relationship in a marriage. So if you're telling me that he can work it out with us, then I'm telling you a couple, you can work it out. Just Give God an opportunity to mm. do what he does best it's, and give it another day. Give us some more time. Mm. Phil, uh, everybody wants to know, when did the ducks come into the picture? Uh, we heard about your background, but you held up that duck call to Miss Kay and said, Miss Kay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make lots and lots of these and, and we're going to become rich or at least we're going to survive. Uh, what made you think a duck call would score the big touchdown for you? When you duck hunt, you're in a duck blind you build, you hide in the brush, and you put decoys out to make it look like ducks. And the next thing, if you sound like birds, uh, as a young boy, I just had a knack for listening to the sound of all birds, ducks and other birds too, hawks, owls, and all that. Always as a little boy, I would listen carefully to what animals and birds sounded like. Well, when I came along with the duck call, in other words, I added, most people just had a mallard duck call, but I made wood duck calls. I made uh, pintail calls, widgeon calls, uh, uh, gadwall calls. I made a, 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 an array of duck calls to sound like way more ducks than was on the market. So that intrigued people, I think, and they would try them, and the rest is history, as they say. I just had a knack for sounding like birds, which uh, in America, people sell us short, really, because I was just a fellow who, who could sound like birds, and it made me a millionaire. Al, Al, let me ask you, what do you think uh, is the reason for, for the Duck Commander's success and, and, and gotten so successful that it even captured Hollywood's attention and turns into this TV show? What's the secret sauce? <clears throat> well, and Dad just described it, really. It, it was, it was a, a recognition that without Christ, we wouldn't have a business. And so we knew we were on a journey that God was sending us on. I remember when, when uh, Dad was in New Orleans one time, and I was— I was I had just gotten, you know, back in Christ myself and, and lined out my life. And so we're back in New Orleans, which is where I turned my life around. And dad's up doing his duck call demonstration. And we had this Cajun there with us that was working with us, you know, yeah. and he spoke the lingo. You know, he had that he had that Creole language and dad got up and did his thing. And he was standing under this, this big sign that said Anheuser-Busch, King of Beers. 
And because they were the sponsor of this thing, and Dad's doing his duck call demonstration. There's about 400 Cajuns out there, and they're loving it. You know, they're drinking their Budweiser. And so, Dad, when he finishes, he pauses, and I'm just standing off stage looking. And I'm standing next to this guy, Dubasson, is his name. And Dad reaches in and pulls his Bible out. And I mean, it was just a hush that went over the crowd. And he said, You know, Anheuser Bush, he really is the king of beers. I drank a many a one back in the day. He said, but I gave all that up, boys, to follow the king of kings. And then he shared the gospel with this audience. Of course, they're putting their beer behind their legs, hiding <laughs> right. up. You know, now it's <laughs> what beer? awkward, you know. <laughs> and so when dad was walking off stage, and this is the secret to our company, Dubasan was there. He said, Phil, you can't do that. You can't do that. And dad said, do what? He said, you can't mix your religion with your business. You lose both. And Dad said, I'll never forget this. Dad, it always stuck with me. He said, Dubasan, did you not hear what I was talking about? Dead men coming out of the ground? Forgiveness of sin? If it wasn't for Christ, we would have no business. He will always be at the forefront of our business. And so that sunk into me that that was the culture of Duck Commander. Yeah. And so even though even though the show, even though the you know, A&E and the people that made it didn't understand while we were successful, we always knew that the Almighty was driving the bus, mm. even though they didn't know that. And so that's and guess who else figured it out? About half of America understood it as well. And that's why I was a success. Al, you brought up A&E, the network that Duck Dynasty was on. And being part of Hollywood can be a blessing and a curse. It's a double-edged sword. It's great because it gets the message out, but then you have this accountability to a network. You have all these other interests that are trying to be imposed into the show. And at some point, they didn't take real kindly to your view, Phil, on marriage and sin. Uh, Can you just take us back there for a moment? What happened, and would you have done anything differently? Not at all. In other words... A, a, a guy walked up and he, and he asked me, do you believe homosexual behavior is a sin? I, I turned to my Bible. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. And I kind of said, uh, they, won't, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So it's not like it's an un- unforgivable sin. He just asked me, was it a sin? I quoted him a Bible verse, and you'd have thought that I was the sorriest, low-down human being on planet Earth. Curse me for this and that and the other, but it's still true. We're all sinners. It doesn't make any difference which one it is. You know, the list are all here for us to see. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. You know the reason he appeared, Jesus, was so that your sins would be removed. And in him is no sin. So he's the place you need to get where there's forgiveness for all your past sins And he's the one that's going to forgive you of any sin that you will ever commit in the future. He's at the right hand of God mediating for us. Past sin's gone. Future sin's not counted against you. Guaranteed you're being raised from the dead. I'm like, give me a break. That's a good deal. A real good deal. 
and, and now you're both also in the podcast world with uh, Al, with your brother Jace. You guys get together and you call it unashamed. Uh, why do you call it unashamed? And what kind of stuff do you talk about? Obviously, you know, there's several verses in the Bible. One, the f- most famous, probably Romans 1, right? Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel, and that's the way we, we feel about it. I think what Dad was, you and Dad were talking about a minute ago also shows that even though you're in the public eye, you still, when you get forced to, you know, talk about what you believe, you that's the moment where you're either ashamed or unashamed. And so Jesus says, if you won't talk about me, you know, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed mm, of you. Yeah. And so, you know, that's who we have to be. And, and to be honest, Kirk, you're, you're one of those people. I mean, I look up to you because I remember you as, you know, Mike Seaver, you know, growing pains as, as a, a young man. And yet you've held to your convictions now as a believer through a career, you know, in Hollywood, where, like you said, you kind of stand out. You know, it's not, not a lot of people have the same, even if they are, they're, they're not very courageous sometimes mm. to talk about it. And I get it. I understand it. But so that's where the podcast birthed out of that. Dad's been on Blaze for a few years now, uh, Blaze TV. And it started out with a show called In the Woods with Phil, where we just kind of followed him around like a video blog. And then people loved that so much. They we, said, were, we were flying in an airplane and Zach, my nephew, and Al, my son, I was looking out that plane window as we rode along there at about 30,000 feet. And I said, boys, come back here. Y'all sit down a minute. So they sat down and I said, I know this is going to shock you, but you need to get me on this internet. And I never even had a cell phone. I said, get me on it because I think if the the apostle Paul had had it, the internet, I think he would have used it. Yeah point people to Jesus. That's right. So whatever it takes, get me on the thing and I and I'll be I'm gonna start using the, the, the cell phone. Now I still haven't haven't looked at any of our episodes, but they tell me we have a lot of how many people to ever reach? Oh millions. And, and we do we do uh we've done six hundred podcasts, you know, just in, in three years. So we're doing two hundred podcasts a year. We're based it's just a what it is, Kirk, is a giant Bible study. And the three of us together have a combined hundred plus years of teaching the word of God. I mean, we, we've all here, we, we taught classes, we, we've, you know, led yeah. groups, groups and helped people individually. And so we've just taken all of our years of studying God's word. And for the podcast listener, they're listening in on us discuss the word of God. And we Love just it. go book to book and yeah. we have guests on as well. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's people you've heard, you know, nationally known people because we like hearing from them too. Yeah, Uh, I absolutely love that. And I love how unashamed you are. I've often uh, made the analogy, boy, if I was was ashamed to speak about uh, how much I love my wife and her love for me, uh, what would that do to my relationship with her? And, and why on earth would I try to hide my love for my wife from other people when she's been so good to me? She's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, Phil, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember like yesterday when I visited you a couple of years ago in West Monroe, we went out in a boat onto the river and I had my, my Native American wind flute and I played Amazing Grace. I remember that. <laughs> you remember that? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and we were think pulling. about it. The man from California, 
a man come from California. He's in. He's honking on a flute. Who would forget that? <laughs> that's, that's, well, I sure didn't forget it because we were pulling that's all these weird fish. people coming out of there, man. Hey, man. You know, uh, I know people from California seem weird to the Louisiana folks, and, and and vice versa. But we had a great time together. We were kindred spirits. Yeah. Um, and 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 I interviewed you for my show called One on One, where I asked you if you could fix one thing that's wrong in America. Where would we start? And you said, faith. Why is faith the starting point? Here's the Apostle Paul talking about his past life because we've already, uh, we've already elaborated on being immoral, drunk, and high, and all that. And I felt terrible about it. Here's his resume. Even though I was a once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, check this out of whom I'm the worst. I am the sorriest, low-down sinner there is. I mean, I'm having to have people stoned to death. When I read his conversion when it came to put, putting faith in Jesus or not, it helped me because I said, well, I was sorry and low-down, but I wasn't that sorry and low-down. So if you just look at it and you step back and you look, you say, Let's see, I'm sure of what I hope for, and I'm certain of what I do not see. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because everyone who comes to him must believe he exists. You know, you were there, and I guess I was there too. I just didn't believe it until the moment came when I had to live by it. When I was uh, devoid of faith in Jesus, I was devoid of love, joy, peace, nope, patience, nope, kindness, faithfulness, nope, nope, gentleness, nope, peace of mind, nope. It wasn't there mm. when I was out in the world and the, the Satan had me. But when, when I put my faith in Jesus, man alive did things change then. It's been the greatest ride I've ever been on, and I'm still, to this day, I'm still loving it. It's the greatest move I ever made. Let me ask you guys, having such a, a strong faith in God and in His Word uh, allows you to be salt and light in your culture, but it seems like we're living in a culture that wants less and less to do with biblical thinking. So, so how do you take all of this and apply it as salt and light in your society? Let's face it, Jesus, when, when asked about marriage, he went back to the very beginning of Genesis 2. He says, this is why God made a male and female, you know, and let man not separate that. So the family is the nuclear structure of any society and any civilization. And so that's what we have to reintroduce faith is also reintroducing the importance of family. And my simple question to our culture is and our civilization, if you don't want to listen to the Bible or talk about God, how do you think it's going with with what we're doing here now without God and without the Bible? 
Yeah. How, how well are things How's this going in America? You? I mean, how's it working for you? You know, with, with all the fentanyl and the addictions and the death, and then the, and then you got generations of people who who've never been married, don't know my dad, raised by my grandmother. I mean, just a continual decline in into decimation. And so, my salt and light is you might want to give this a try. Because, mm. you know, we're four generations. Yeah. Kirk, you know, on my front porch, we have a hot tub on the front porch. And my dad baptized my granddaughter a couple of years ago. Mm. And so there's my daughter. There I am. Four generations of living faith, living in the same town. In my case, living on the same compound. And you look at that and you think, you know what? It's working pretty well by sticking to what God said. And from the beginning. And so I think people should, I'm hoping that things being so bad will at some point turn people to say, you know what, I'm ready to try something different. Yeah, I think you're right. Me looking to to, uh, political parties, to this, that, and the other, that's not working. That's right. And it's such a tendency that we have to want to look to somebody else to fix our problems. Israel did that. No, God, give us a king. Make us like the other nations. He'll fix it. He'll protect us. He'll provide for us. When God is saying, I'm your protector, I'm your provider, you look to me. And, and, and I think in this country, if we start, like Phil said, with faith, and then we begin to love God because he's changed our heart, and then we begin to love our neighbor, and we begin to work together, we can build a brand new country from the bottom up and from the inside out. Um, Phil, it might seem to some people that you are fearless, uh, but I would say that you're not fearless. I would say that you're full of the fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord allows you to not be intimidated by other earthly forces. Is that a fair assessment? It's a fair assessment. You know, the Bible says that a fool says there is no God in his heart if he says there is no God. And uh, fearing God and doing what's right. Uh, he got me here, according to this book. I, I'm waiting on a better story for someone to put forth. I mean, what are the odds, Cameron, that we would be counting time by Jesus of Nazareth? You say, well, what, what way do you call it right now? This is, this is Year 2022, in the year of our Lord Jesus, we're counting time by him. You say, well, what about all the years before we got here? What are they called? They're called all the years before we got here, before Christ. That's right. What are the odds that the world, including China, Russia, all of them, you ask, you, you get on that, that woman who knows everything on your computer. I checked it out <laughs> one time. I said, what year is it in China? She said, 2022. And I said, the Chinese even count time by Jesus. Do you realize how hard it would be for someone to dream up a person that you could count time by? And here we sit. And I would think at least in our educational system, people would look and say, you know, we're counting time by Jesus Christ. He must have been pretty important. Phil, because people do look to you as a person with so much courage uh, to be unashamed, and you too, Al, uh, to be fearless when it comes to just speaking the truth in love, what would you say to those who do struggle with fear, who do struggle with worry or people-pleasing because they don't want to be canceled by their culture? Yeah, I think you never apologize for saying or doing the right thing. Mm. I mean, 
we know things are right. But the big mistake a lot of times believers make is because of whatever the circumstances or publicist is telling them, whatever, especially this person that's well-known, that they apologize. I mean, dad never apologized for speaking truth, even though, you know, a lot of people were after him about it. And so we shouldn't either. Truth is truth. I mean, the Bible is the Bible. God is who he is. And so the most oft used phrase from Jesus to his disciples was do not be afraid, which is really interesting because like you said, all throughout the Bible is fear God, right? So when we fear God, according to Jesus to his disciples, you don't have to be afraid of people, of circumstance, of difficulty, of persecution, even death itself. They'll hate me, but they'll hate you also. They'll hate you also. What they did to me, they're going to do to you. And look, that's exactly what happened to all of those disciples. They followed the same pathway as Jesus. They were willing to die for their faith. And Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcome the evil one when we recognize the blood of the lamb, when we use the word of our testimony, and that we don't love life so much that we would shrink back even from death. So that's the kind of fearless life we're talking about. So uh. when, when God lives in you, you don't have to be afraid of other people. And look, somebody said, well, what about if I lose my job? Then get another one or start your own business with God at the center. That's what we did. Anything can be overcome when you have the fear of the Lord in your heart. I, I love that. And I love that God doesn't often use the rich and the famous to bring about his will. Sometimes he does. Sometimes there's exceptions to the rule, but it's often no one, nobody's from nowhere with nothing to offer, but a heart that is fully surrendered to him. And then he lifts some of them up. Um, uh, but often it's the tax collectors, it's the tent makers, it's the fishermen. It's, uh, it's, it's the unexpected in the unexpected places. What would you say to the average person out there that says, you know what, I'm not doing anything special. I never made a duck call. I don't have a podcast. What can I do to make a difference and bring glory to the Almighty? No, you're, you're so right, Kurt, because we've been studying the book of Mark on our podcast, and we've been looking at, you know, disciples right there, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all the people that were right there and should have known. But it was always the, the Gentile woman that just comes up because her daughter's, you know, in a bad way, and she says, Lord, you know, she looks at you, she recognizes who he is, or or that guy, the Roman guys watched him and helped crucify him and says, Surely this was the Son of God. So any anybody and everybody has worth in the kingdom of God. Hmm. And that's what Jesus showed us when he was walking around the earth. It was usually the children, the women, the the people that were, you know, had maladies and they were blind and they were hurt. It was those the ones because they were desperate that they recognize who he is. So I would say to anybody out there that you think, man, I don't know, I just seem like a desperate person, then you are a prime candidate mm, that's right. to be a voice for Christ. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.